Hey guys, great to be with you today. Um, and uh, just so, I mean, I want to honor moms too. I'm married to a super mom. We've got five kids between us. Uh, when I was in my 20s and I was, if, if ever I were to write a list of what I was looking for in a woman, somehow I forgot to mention in my list that she should probably be good with children. <laughs> but I just luck, lucked out on that one, hey? I got, I got my, my wife and my kids are very grateful that I chose her as a, as a, as a mom for them. And I don't know if you know, the very first word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus when he rises again from the dead, do, do you know what it is? John chapter 20, woman, first word out of the mouth of the resurrected Jesus, so appropriate to finish your series, the convincing proofs, all about the resurrection of Jesus on the theme of, uh, of uh, on Mom's Day. And, um, and then also I just want to tell you a little bit about my connection with Craig and Cindy. As a teenager, I grew up in Seapoint where there really weren't that many Christians. And uh, in their youth group was a guy called Nathan Ganetsky, who was my only Christian friend. And Nathan and Cindy used to disciple uh, Nathan and used to get him to pray for his friends that they would come to faith. And then Nathan invited me on a surf camp where I became a Christian. And then uh, before I knew it, I was uh, being discipled by Craig. I'd get home from school on a Wednesday and Craig would be there to meet me and some of my friends and he would disciple us every Wednesday. He'd open up the Bible, he'd teach us Bible verses. To this day, I've just got so many Bible verses in my memory. I thought that's what Christians do. Um, but turns out Craig and now me, are, we are quite a rare breed actually in the larger fold, just memorizing scripture the whole time. Um, and then about four months into my faith, I kind of started to wobble. Uh, the language at the time was backslide. And I thought, you know what, I'm actually going to try bail on this whole thing. <laughs> and, I just, and I missed youth group the one night. And then the next Friday, I was going to miss it again. And I remember Craig phoning me. The youth leader phones you. And he says, hey, Taryn, we missed you last week. Are you okay? Yes, Craig, I'm fine. Hey, why don't you come tonight? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, I went back that night. And by the end of the night, I was worshiping Jesus, giving testimonies. And I thought, so I had a one-week stint of trying to backslide, but Craig intercepted it. So I'm grateful to Craig and Cindy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Once they gave me the mic, there's no stopping me. <laughs> So I want to speak today, Craig asked me to speak about the enthronement of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is on a throne. I normally do have notes. My, um, my iPad just folded a minute before I got here. I'm not stressed. My wife said, it's God. Just go with it. So, so um, when I come to reading the Bible passage, I'm going to go from memory a little and get it all wrong. So, so um, in Acts chapter 2, probably the best place that connects the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is seated on a throne. And, uh, and let me just give you a little bit of a clue here. Uh, Peter is preaching. It's the first message that's being preached now that Jesus has been resurrected, has ascended to the heavens. And it's Pentecost days, just poured out his spirit. 120 people have encountered the Holy Spirit. They spill out onto the streets. Peter grabs the mic and he preaches the gospel. And the gospel he preaches in Acts chapter 2 really has got four key words. They are the cross, uh, the resurrection, the throne, and the spirit. Okay, the cross, the resurrection, the throne, and the Spirit. So for those of you that are going to go home and you're going to talk to someone and they say, so what did that guy preach on today? You're going to say, oh, he preached on the, the cross, 
the resurrection, the throne, and the spirit. You think you can remember those four? Because if you can, you got the gist of my message. So uh, Peter stands up and he quotes Joel chapter 2 where it says uh, God, you know, was going to pour out his spirit and God is pouring out his spirit. And then he speaks about Jesus as a man accredited by, his, by God through miracles and signs and wonders, but crucified by many of you. Because in the crowd of very, the very people that had shouted, crucify him. And then it said, but God raised him from the dead. You nailed him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. And uh, so, so, so far we've got the cross, we've got the resurrection. And then he quotes King David because he's speaking to Jewish people who know the Old Testament very well. And he says, you know, David had prophesied in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that one day uh, someone would sit on his throne, one of his descendants, and would reign forever. So uh, Peter quotes that. And then he, he jumps to Psalm 16, which is a psalm also written by David, in which David speaks about this holy one uh, who is looked after by God. And then the holy one dies, but God doesn't let the holy one see decay, but gives him new life. And then Peter makes the point that this is a prophecy, says David, about the king who's also going to die and who's going to live again. The resurrection. So you're really picking up some themes here of the throne. Did you hear that part? 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the resurrection. And then he carries on and he, 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 he quotes Psalm 110 where he says, Exalted to the right hand of God. Uh, you know, God has given the spirit. Jesus has sent the spirit and quotes Psalm 110 that where the, the Lord says to my Lord, this is David again writing, sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then he announces the crescendo of his message. So this man that you crucified, God has made Lord and Messiah. And the word Messiah means anointed king. Okay, so that, that, that's all the part I had to memorize, and I didn't really, but so, that's Acts chapter 2. Read the proper version at home. So now for my message, I've got three points for you. I want to speak firstly about the resurrection and the throne. That's my first point. My second point, I want to speak about the cross and the throne. And then my third point, I want to speak about the spirit and the throne. See, I'm easy to follow, eh? I mean, when you get home, you're going to be able to like recite this whole message, even better than me, because you'll actually be able to read Acts chapter 2 to whoever's listening. So let's speak firstly about the resurrection and the throne. The two are connected. Uh, what has happened is 10 days before Peter is preaching, uh, we're told in Acts chapter 1 that, they, that Jesus ascended off the ground and literally lifted up to the sky. And the dumbfounded disciples stare up at the sky like little children that have lost their parents. And God literally has to send some angels to say, okay, you can go home now. Everything's going to be fine. He's coming back. And, uh, you know, stare up at Jesus. And then, in fact, in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter even uses the word ascended. He says, David didn't ascend, but Jesus, in other words, implying Jesus did ascend. And, and the resurrection is the first stage towards the ascension. We, we need to almost think about this movement of up, up, up. Jesus walks out of the tomb. He resurrects. In no time at all, he's going to ascend. And then once he's ascended, he gets to heaven. He's going to be enthroned. It's kind of like one movement. Resurrect, ascend, enthroned resurrect ascend enthroned and this is the up 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 movement of Jesus so that we can say that he is unparalleled in power now 
and he is um, unmatched in might. Jesus is on a throne. And in the listening to the songs you were singing, you could pick up this theme uh, that Jesus is alive and well. He rules. He reigns. The central message of Jesus, as Craig no doubt has preached to you many times, was the kingdom of God. But of course, this is all coming to a head in the resurrection, the ascension, and the enthronement of Jesus, where Jesus now rules the, the, the world as king. What's Jesus doing right now? He's on a throne. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's seated at the right hand of God. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the Old Testament story where you've got, where you've got um, Joseph who's in a pit. And then suddenly God takes him out of the pit. And I remember reading one Bible commentator and says, God takes him out of the pit in one step from the pit to the palace, from the chains to the throne. And you got this picture of Jesus seated high above the world, ruling and reigning. Of course, there's still bad things happening. I mean, why else would he say, Seat, be seated at my right hand until we make your enemies uh, a footstool for your feet? They, they are still enemies. It's true that when Jesus died on the cross, he he, he, he drew a mortal blow on sin and Satan and death and darkness. So the, the days are numbered of evil, but still there is evil and there still is poverty and racism and inequality and COVID and terrible things in the world. But we draw comfort from the fact that none of it escapes God's attention. All of it is ultimately under Jesus' control. And eventually he will eliminate all of his enemies and he'll rest his foot on them like a footstool. He's going to humiliate his enemies. And I and, and can see the connection. There's the resurrection and the enthronement. So that's my first point. You got that? Okay. Let's move on to that second point. Second point is the cross and the enthronement. The cross and the enthronement. And you notice Peter connecting the two. Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. And whenever we're meant to think about Jesus, we're meant to think of him not only as, as wearing a crown, but also having been crucified. He is enthroned, but he's also the crucified one who's been enthroned. In fact, in Psalm, I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, the, the point that the Apostle Paul makes as he, he tells the story is that Jesus descends down, down, down before God takes him up, up, up. And you can't appreciate his uh, enthronement without appreciation, appreciating how far he went down. So if you read Philippians chapter 2, there's actually four stages in, in the descent of the Son of God. Stage 1 in down of the Son of God is he becomes a human. I mean, think about that. The God who makes the world becomes one of us. That's a step down. <laughs> and then he doesn't just become any of us. He becomes a servant. I mean, if you were to become human and you could choose which human you'd want to be, you'd, be, you'd probably want to be born in Caesar's household. But not Jesus. He's born in this poor family, in this dry outback northern Palestinian town to these dirt poor parents in a situation that is scandalized because his parents aren't married when his mom is pregnant at first. So Jesus, he becomes, he becomes a, a servant. He comes to serve. And then Philippians 2 takes us down yet another step. Not only human, not only servant, but obedient to death. He's willing to die on his mission. He's willing to die in his love for us. Obedient to death. But not only that, Philippians chapter 2 says, death, 
even death on a cross. And in the ancient world, there was no more degrading thing that could happen to a human being than them being stripped naked and hung on a cross. I mean, that's as low as you could possibly go. Jesus being crucified. Down, 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 down. And then Philippians chapter 2 suddenly turns around and says, Therefore God exalted him and gave him the name above every name, that, you know, the name of Jesus that is above every other name, so that, so that every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth would bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. So you've got this beautiful picture of the one who has gone down, 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 has gone up, 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 resurrection, ascension, enthronement. And then don't you love that, you know, every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth bowing, every knee above the earth, sorry, every knee above the earth, on the earth and under the earth bowing, every knee above the earth speaks about the angelic realms. Paul is saying there's no angelic power that is as great as, as the, the, the authority and the greatness of Jesus. And then he speaks about earthly powers and you think about the despots and the tyrants. There's no despotic power as great as Jesus. And then he goes under the earth, reaching into the underworld where there's no demonic power that's as great as the name of Jesus. Jesus is exalted and lifted to the highest place. And we meant to hold together the down, 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 down with the up, 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 so that the two hold together. And I love the song that we started with today. It was about the lamb and the lion. Do you remember that song? And of course, that comes from Revelation chapter 4, where John is um, in, having a vision, in, and he writes it down in the Revelation. And in this vision, there is the scroll. And the scroll has got the, 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 the answers to the mysterious questions. And he so longs to know what's in the scroll. But there's no one to ask, open the scroll. There's meaning that is hidden from him, and he starts to weep. Until an angel says, hang on, uh, see, there is one who can open the scroll, the lion of Judah. And he's so excited. Wow, he's going he's gonna to lift up his head. He's going to see this lion. And he looks up and he says, and then he saw someone, a lamb that was someone like a lamb that was slain. So he's looking for the lion and he finds the lamb and, and turns out the lion is the lamb. And you can see what's happening there is God in this powerful vision is connecting together the cross and the enthronement of Jesus. I mean, you can't make sense of Jesus when you, when you tear those two things apart. You see, see Jesus is, is, is fatherly uh, like a lamb, but he's also fierce like a lion. And Jesus is, is majestic like a lion, but he's also meek like a lamb. And it's true that he receives tribute and worship from us as, as the lion, but he also washes our feet like a lamb. I mean, here's Jesus who, who deserves our praise, and yet he's willing to serve us. He carries a scepter of authority, and yet he also carried his cross up a hill. And you hold together these amazing dimensions of Jesus that usually couldn't exist in one person, but they exist in Jesus. And it's the reason why we can worship him not only year after year and decade after decade, but in after in in heaven. Because there's such complexity and nuance and depth to him. Majestic and meek. King and kind. Merciful and mighty. Lion and lamb. The lion is the lamb. The lamb is the lion. And mind you, not only does the fact that we, the cross and the enthronement 
come together to help us understand who Jesus is. It help, comes together to help us understand how the Christian life works. Maybe you're new to church or back in church after a long time. You're trying to get your head around what Christianity is all about. Well, you can't make sense of it unless you remember this picture of the cross and and the enthronement, the lamb and the lion. I'll give you some examples in the Christian life. First, you've got to humble yourself lamb-like before you can be lifted up lion-like. Or if you want to become great uh, lion-like, Jesus says you've got to serve others lamb-like. There's a kind of order. If you want the freedom of a lion, when you think about a lion, if you've been to the Kruger, you watch these guys, they own the space. They own the domain. They, go, they are the freest beings there because they got, they're, the, they're the apex predator in a sense. They've got this freedom. But if you want a freedom in the spirit, it comes from surrendering yourself to the cross. And then, of course, this helps us make sense of some of the crucifying experiences that come on the path of following Jesus. When I first started following Jesus, I had wonderful experiences of the Holy Spirit. I just thought it was going to be heaven for the rest of my Christian life. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> Lots of crucifying experiences along the way. And these were crucifying experiences that didn't come from me disobeying Jesus. They were crucifying experiences that have come from me obeying Jesus. What's that about? Well, thankfully, we've got this lamb lion picture to help us realize that the pathway to resurrection power is crucifying experiences. Can't understand the Christian life without holding together the cross and the throne, the lamb and the lion. I've got one more point for you. Okay, so the first point was, again, the, the, the resurrection and the throne. You, you remember that? Second point was the cross and the throne, and then really I spoke about the lamb and the lion. i got one more point for you. The spirit and the throne. The spirit and the throne. And uh, so, so let, let's go there. Jesus tells his disciples before he goes that he's going to leave them, and they are bummed. And he says, I promise you it'll be better for you that I go. You know, it's like mom going to work. It'll be better for you than I go. I'm going to make money so I can feed you tonight. It's hard to believe when you've had somebody. You've got John and Peter and the disciples day after day, year after year, hanging out with Jesus, trekking through countryside and towns on this great kingdom adventure. And now he's leaving. How can that possibly be better? And Jesus says in John chapter 16, it's better for you that I go because I'm going to send to you the help of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. What you see happening in Acts chapter 2, as it connects with Acts chapter 1, is it's like Jesus ascends to heaven, and I'm speaking with a metaphor here, and he blows a hole in the atmosphere as he goes up. And as he goes up, he sends down his replacement in the person of the Holy Spirit through the same hole. Jesus goes up, and he sends down his spirit. In fact, a lot of the gospel story is up, down. We've already spoken about the down, 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 down in the cross to the up, up, up to the enthronement. Now Jesus has gone up, and he's sending down the spirit. And the church is going to get lifted up and Jesus is going to come back down and the whole human race is going to be lifted up to its ultimate form. You can see this up, down, a lot of it. But Jesus goes up and he says, I'm going to send the Spirit down. My question is, how can the Holy Spirit possibly compete? Uh, how, can that, how can that be as good as having Jesus with you all the time? 
Well, let's think about it. The Spirit does two things. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Firstly, the Spirit um, internalizes the presence of Jesus. See, John and Peter and the disciples, they had Jesus with them. And then now and then they would go separate ways for a few hours or maybe a few days and they'd come back together. But when you have the Spirit of Jesus living inside of you, you know Jesus in a way that you've never known before. I mean, it's amazing to think that we can sit here today and know Jesus more intimately than John and Peter could have done around a fire back in the day. Because the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of us. He, he internalizes the presence of Jesus. And apparently, as we experience the, in, the, the presence of Jesus the, through the Spirit, this can be a very joyful experience. We know because in Acts chapter 2, uh, they're so celebrative as they're experiencing the Holy Spirit that the onlookers say, are you guys drunk? And he says, it's only nine in the morning. I promise you, we haven't been drinking. This is the joy that comes from God. And, and of course, in Psalm 16, which he quotes in that sermon, he says, the joy of the Lord, the joy, sorry, Craig, what's the verse? The, in his presence is, is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. And that's exactly what's happening. He's knowing, he's experience, you experience the, the fullness of joy as Jesus, not just alongside you, but he's within you. And that's not, that's not enough. The second way that it's better that Jesus goes up and sends down his spirit is that the spirit universalizes the, the presence of Jesus. See, the spirit doesn't just internalize the presence of Jesus. The spirit universalizes the, the presence of Jesus. In the Gospels, the one thing Jesus didn't do was be in two places at the same time. You know, if Jesus was either there and you got to see him, or he left, or he's on his way, and you, could, you had to be in his presence. There was a particular longitude and latitude where Jesus was. Well, once Jesus goes up to his headquarters and sends down his spirit, it's possible for people all over the world, on a beach in Hawaii, on a field in Pinelands, in, a, in, a, in some building somewhere in observatory, uh, in a shack in Guguletu, to know the presence of Jesus. Because now he can go to all longitudes and all latitudes simultaneously. I mean, it's much better. But I tell you what the awesome thing about the gift of the Spirit is and the presence of the Spirit is, again, it's connection to the enthronement of Jesus. So think about it. Jesus speaks about himself as king. And he tells his disciples he's going he's gonna to return to the Father. So he makes this promise that he's going to go to the throne. And then he disappears. And then nothing. Now, you can't feel him anymore. You can't see him anymore. You heard him say that he's going to the Father, so you got his word. But it's been a while since you've even heard him. Do you think doubts begin to trickle in? Like, I wonder where he is now. <laughs> Did Jesus even make it up? Did something go wrong in the way? I mean, is Jesus really on the throne? Well, let me tell you a story about um, Rolf Amundsen. He's that famous Norwegian um, explorer. If you know it, he discovered the South Pole. He discovered the magnetic meridian of the North Pole. Eventually, he would die in one of his missions. So this guy had a what you call a traumatized wife at home who waited, you know, and they didn't have um, technology that could communicate instantly. So what he said to his wife when he went up to the North Pole, he said, honey, I'm going to take a true story. He took a homing pigeon, a homing pigeon, and he said, as I get to the North Pole, I'm going to release this homing pigeon so you will know back at home that I, that I made it. And then he's gone for weeks. 
maybe months. I don't know how long it was. Can you imagine how excited Rolf Amundsen's wife was one day when she's hanging washing on the line and something catches her eye and she looks up and, around, and circling above her is the homing pigeon. And she's standing washing, you know, hanging in the, the washing and she starts to scream, he's alive and he's on top of the world. He's alive and he's on top of the world. Tell me how that is not exactly like Peter in his sermon where he says, he is exalted to the right hand of God and now he has poured out his spirit. It's like Peter is saying, he's alive and he's on top of the world. And perhaps an appropriate way to finish the convincing proofs of the resurrection. If you were to ever doubt that Jesus is alive, if you were to ever doubt that Jesus is on a throne on top of the world, all you need to do is experience the Spirit, and all doubts are vanquished. Let's pray. Jesus, what an honor to know you. What a privilege to be in your presence. What a fantastic opportunity to sing to you today. Thank you for the crucifixion. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your enthronement. And thank you for the Spirit. God, we pray we could know more of your presence in our lives. We pray that more and more we would know who you are, Jesus, the lamb and the lion, that more and more we would know the greatness that comes from serving, the being lifted up that comes from humility, the resurrection power that comes from crucifying experiences. And God, when uh, our heads are spinning, the world feels so out of control, whether it's our little worlds or the country we live in or the, the things happening on planet Earth, thank you that we can look above it all to the one who is seated on a throne, high and exalted. And while we're praying, I'm, I'm thinking maybe there's some of you that, are, like I said, are new to church or back in church after a long time. And, and as you hear, maybe it's dawning upon you. It's real. It's true. Jesus is alive. And as you hear the message, God gives you the gift like he once gave me when I was a teenager to believe, to believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he rose again from the dead for you, that he seated on a throne for you and that he gives his spirit to you. And if that is you, I would encourage you today to trust in him, not to delay another day of your life, to surrender fully so that you can know the freedom of the lion in the Kruger. If that is you, can I just ask everyone to close their eyes? I'm not going to draw attention to you, but just lift up your hand as your way of saying, Terran, pray for me. So I want to trust in Jesus today. I want to trust in Jesus today. Just lift up your hand where you are. Wonderful. Anyone else? Lift it up high. Wonderful. Anyone else? Okay, you can put your hands down. Can I just guide you in a simple prayer? Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. Can, can you pray that under your breath? Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, thank you that you're alive. Can you pray that? Jesus, come and live in me by your spirit. Take me into your family. Take me into your kingdom. Teach me to trust you. Teach me to follow you. Amen.